I'm, I'm ending a series today called Transformed, and uh, we've had a great series so far. I've been really excited about just this, the theme verse of our series, which is Romans 12, and it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don kicked off our series uh, a couple weeks ago and just tried to help us understand the, the process of transformation, that it is a process, it's not an event. And he shared this with us, that transformation starts in our minds, okay? Just, just like we read that verse, to, to change the way we think. What we think about defines what we do. It is going to affect our behavior, it is going to affect our actions, but, but it starts in the mind. The transformation process uh, starts in changing the way that we think. And then my wife, Tracy, got to share last week on Mother's Day uh, the real the key to this transformation in terms of how it changes how we think. Uh, both of them talked about sanctification is learning to live in light of the truth, which is God's truth, right? But renewing your mind is learning to think in light of the truth. That The key to transformation is ultimately aligning our thoughts with his truth truth. That's the key to this transformed uh, life. Now, around Journey, we have uh, what we call our core ambitions. They're the, the four marks of any disciple of Jesus and, you know, partnering, growing, serving, uh, leading. But just to kind of focus in on this, our idea of growing in our faith, transformation comes from growing. And we believe that that core ambition means that growing brings change. And everybody wants to experience the positive side of change and transformation in their life, but sometimes they just don't know how to grow. They don't know how to get there. And today, I want to talk about, we've talked about how we think and really the idea of changing our, our, our minds and changing the way we think in light of truth, but today I want to talk about how that works itself out into what we do. And especially today, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the two most important relationships for transformation. For you and I to experience that transformative power of God kind of changing us more and more into the image of Christ, there are two very important relationships that have to be in place. And for me, I want to just kind of go back to uh, where we began in terms of this Christian journey. We talked about it at Easter and, and uh, in terms of, of how this whole thing got launched. Uh, but I want to go back to Jesus' final words, okay? His, his parting words with his disciples. Matthew records it for us in Matthew 28. He says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, okay, teach them, teach the new disciples to obey the commands that I've given you. Okay, this, is the, this is a process, if you will, that Jesus sort of, his last words, he said, I'm going to be with you always, don't fear. But his last words were kind of helping them understand that you're my disciples, but I want you to go and make new disciples. You'll, be, you'll probably notice if you hang around Journey long enough that we try, we're very intentional with our language, not to use the word Christian a ton in terms of referring to ourselves, because that's not the way the Bible refers to those who follow Christ, that followers really are the best way of describing disciples. 
That to be a disciple is to be a follower, and to be a follower is ultimately to be a disciple and to be a part of those kind of charging words, if you will, or those, that, that charge or those, those, uh, that closing statement that Jesus gave before his ascension, to go and make disciples. And so if you're a follower of Christ, congratulations, you're a part of this beautiful process that started over 2,000 years ago in terms of the church, in terms of the movement of God. Now, that process didn't end with that statement. Of course, obviously, we're a part of this. And so uh, I'm going to read a lot from Paul's letters to the church because you're going to notice a theme this morning in terms of Paul's letters and what he says and how similar they sound to what Jesus himself said. And so the first thing we're going to read is a, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was a disciple of Jesus and yet was also a disciple of Paul. He was uh, somebody who had come to faith because of his mother and his grandmother, and, and Paul got to pour into his life. And here's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach, like you've heard me pour this out, the things that, I have, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will then be able to pass them on to others, right? You're starting to see a little bit of, the, of a theme here. We're all doing the same thing. Paul says, look, I, you know, I got all these things from reliable witnesses and I've taught them to you. And I want you to teach these, these things to others. And again, following that, that kind of that charge from Jesus, that great commission to make disciples and to teach them and to obey all of his commands. Around the same time that Paul was writing to Timothy, he was also writing to, to uh, a, a man named Titus. And Titus was serving uh, the churches in the island of Crete. And he describes it this way to Titus, okay? He describes it this way, and I want you to see some of the same ideas and thoughts. Paul tells Titus, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. Then see this. The older women, the, they must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Right? Keep going. To live wisely and be pure and to care for their homes and to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. They will, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. So you see right here, I don't want you to get lost in some of the practical phrasing, because the earlier part helps you understand what is it that, that Paul was telling Titus to do, is to teach them about Christ and to teach them how, how to live in light of Christ. This isn't, um, you know, teach these people life hacks, you know, on how to best do this or, or best do that. You know, I think sometimes uh, we see that in the mother-daughter relationship in terms of here's how you can do this. And it's like, no, this is a spiritual teaching here. He says, I want you to teach them what it looks like to, to live in light of Christ in their marriage, in their homes, in their cities, in their communities. He teach the older men, teach the older women, and they should then be teaching the younger men. And the younger women, and even you, Titus, are an example to them. How do you live wisely? And again, not life hacks, but how do you live, live wisely in light of the truth of God's truth, as we talked about last week? Again, looking back at this, there's two relationships that'll change the way you see transformation, 
And I want you to know, just from a church perspective, the, the language that we use in the church is called discipleship. It goes back to Jesus' words, okay? You're a disciple. I want you to make disciples. That's part of what discipleship is. It's disciple-making, teaching others what I have commanded you. And in the model, it requires two relationships, okay? Two relationships. Now, I'm going to give you an example in the business world, because I think sometimes the business world caught a hold of this or has caught a hold of this really a lot better than the church has, really a lot better in terms of, at least in the business world, it's a formal thing. And that's oftentimes this idea of like uh, mentors, like a mentor-mentee relationship where you have an advocate, a leader, and a guide helping someone uh, that's further behind them, that's trying to come up and grow and thrive and see change in their life. Sometimes it's an apprenticeship program. Sometimes you're an apprentice, meaning there's a specific thing uh, that you're in training for, that you're in like, medical, it's residency, right, in terms of the field uh, that you're in. Sometimes it's internships, which is kind of a broad sense of, I might have an interest in this, Right? And I want to experience some elements of this and, and be taught some broad ideas of it so I can decide if this is something I would like to grow in. So the business models, you see it every day in terms of uh, how they want to grow and thrive and change in business. They institute a model that is very similar, right? very similar to the discipleship model. And they oftentimes experience growth because of it. There's a great quote by David Kinnaman, which is an author uh, in the Christian world. He, he has this great quote from his book, Unchurched. It says, transformation is a process, right? We've already talked about this. It's a journey, not a one-time decision. Discipleship is that process of learning and equipping and encouraging to love and to think like Christ. I love that quote because it really does kind of emphasize where we're going in this, that transformation process is kind of wound up in this discipleship process in these relationships. It doesn't just change the way we think, because it starts there, but it changes our behavior. It changes how we love one another and how we actually exercise that love. So here's the church model. And again, if you're raised in church, you've heard some of this language before, but I'm trying to break it down really clearly for you so you can be challenged as to the relationships that you have and whether or not this is really working in your life to experience transformation. Here's the church model. The church model is first and foremost Jesus, right? You have Jesus, and then you have a disciple, and a disciple, and a disciple. Now, what's important about this is to understand that Jesus is the one that we're following. So we are disciples of Jesus. We are not disciples of a person, of a preacher, of a charismatic movement, of a spiritual gift, or somebody who exercises that gift. We're not not disciples of 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 a way of thinking. We're disciples of Jesus, okay? So just make sure you understand that sometimes we can't forget that. When we forget that, it takes us into bad places. But we also have to understand that there is a disciple, 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 disciple process that's a part of this as well. And it's not just between you and Jesus. Like it was never meant to be in isolation, where it's you and God and him downloading into you and you just learning and learning and growing and learning and not needing anyone else. That's that's not the church. Again, that is not the process that Jesus talked about and that Paul reiterated to the church. No, we're all disciples of Jesus, but the way it works is that you are right here. You are right here. I got these, um, these stools out for you to help you see 
these relationships and how you can understand that, that there is always going to be two relationships that are going to be vital to you experiencing the change that God wants you to experience. Two relationships. And you, you and I, we are always right here. We're always in the middle chair. We're always in the center of those two relationships. I've had conversations with Christians that tell me that they're struggling, that they're not growing, that they're not experiencing uh, the things they'd like to experience. And I'll go through some of the normal questions like, well, what are you reading right now in God's Word? And they usually don't have anything to say. And, you know, what's the last thing you think God's told you? And, you know, kind of just start digging. But I'll also ask a couple of questions like this. Okay, um, who are you learning from right now? Like who's, who in your life is actually helping you and guiding you in terms of the way of truth, in terms of the way of God in your life? And I'll just get a blank stare. And I'll say, okay, okay. Um, who are you helping? Who are you encouraging? Like, who have you made yourself accountable to in terms of growing in your faith and helping someone else grow in their faith? And, and I'll just get a, a blank stare. And what this means is that someone who's not experiencing transformation right now, they're not experiencing uh, any type of ch good change in their life from God is because they have missed the importance of these two relationships, and they are at the center of it. And so I want to give you a visual, okay? I'm going to give you a visual today that I hope will help you in understanding this a little bit better. And I'll show you why we use this, uh, this kind of language here. At Journey, okay, at Journey, again, we have a lot of core things. We have core values, we have core ambitions in terms of the marks of a disciple, but we also have, if you get around our church and you go through um, you go through our growth track and you go through, you get involved in serving and things like that, you'll start hearing us talk about core behaviors, that there are actual behaviors and things we want to see uh, come to light in life of the people who are invested in partners at our church. And so we have lots of core behaviors. Uh, one of the core behaviors is this one. We pour it out. Okay? It's our way of talking about discipleship without having to make people feel this formal idea of something they don't understand in terms of how it works every day. Gr growing personally, meaning that there's a process of you growing personally and leading others requires my intentional engagement. Growing personally and then leading others in growth does require my intentional engagement. See, everyone is in this middle chair, and I'm going to show you this but in terms of why we call it sort of pouring out. You always need people in your life. So we're all here. We always need people in our life who are pouring in to us. They're pouring in to our life spiritually. They're challenging us. They are um, encouraging us. They are supporting us, not with life hacks and, and worldly thinking, with truth, with God's truth. And then we always need to have people that we are pouring into, that we are trying to stretch ourselves and get out of our comfort zone and pour what we have been taught and what we have been experiencing into other people. Again, this is the discipleship process. It's not always formal, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But in terms of our core behaviors, we expect everyone at Journey to be experiencing this. 
that you are growing personally because someone is pouring into you. You are being discipled in the truth of the Word of God. But you are also leading and pouring into others. And that that itself, it requires intentional engagement. It requires you to think and frame up the relationships that you have in terms of the church, in terms of what it is that you do. And again, it's all with and in light of God's truth. Paul says it this way. Again, I'm reading a lot of Paul's letters because Paul is going to continually share this theme with every church that he writes. This is to the church in Corinth. He says these words, I urge you to imitate me. This is Paul saying it to the church. That's why I've sent Timothy. Okay? I want you to, I want you to see like what it looks like. Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, he will remind you of how I follow Jesus because Timothy is someone I've poured into, and now Timothy is going to pour into you, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Later on in chapter 11, he actually says it again, and this is, this is a statement that bothers a lot of Christians. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Have you ever, guys, have you ever felt confident enough in your faith and your walk that you've been able to look at somebody and say, you know what, just follow me as I follow the truth of God's word, follow my example as I teach it to you. And the, que- and the answer to that is, is that most Christians just shudder at the thought of being an example to someone else in faith because you feel like you're so, you know, oh, I'm just not there. And we think knowledge is an issue and we think that this is an issue. And we're, you know, we struggle with our own brokenness and our own faults. Guys, I'm telling you, you want to experience the transformation in changing the way you think, in changing the, you know, the experiencing growth and changing your life. You need these relationships in your life. You need people pouring into you. And you need, you, you need people that you're pouring into. Again, look at this. Jesus is still the one that we're all following. But the discipleship process requires these relationships. And these are the two relationships that, that I'm telling you, they're the key to experiencing the behavior you need to behave and the works you need to do in terms of your transformation. It's not just about checking good things off a list. I'm telling you, in relationship, you'll experience all of those things. And you have to know that there's benefits to all of this. Hey, you know, there's benefits to every single disciple and discipler relationship that you have. Why? Because the people who might be young in faith, okay, they're, they're young in their knowledge, they're young in their experience, they're young in faith, they bring exuberance and enthusiasm and passion about following Christ. And they bring that to the disciples sometimes, that sometimes they get a little lost in the knowledge, they get a little lost in their, in their traditions. So you need the youth pouring back into it. But you also, okay, you also need the wisdom and experience of people who have been walking this life much longer than you, who have been experiencing faith much longer than you, have gone through different circumstances than you've gone through. There's such a beautiful beautiful two-way relationship that happens in, in both of these relationships in terms of who you are getting, who's pouring into you, and who you are pouring into. And so those are the questions today. 
that I want you to wrestle with. And I want you to use it to reframe the relationships you have a journey. Who pours into you and who are you pouring into? Who pours into you and who are you pouring into? Right? This is not supposed to be, and this is just my personal opinion. I've never been a big fan of formal discipleship programs, okay? Not that they don't have benefit. If you like formal and a binder and everything, fantastic. We will provide people for you to help you formally walk through that process. I just believe in terms of as a Christian, in terms of being a part of a local church, this is something you probably are experiencing and you just haven't realized it. This is something that should be a little bit more organic, especially if you are engaging in the local church and the partnerships that we have. I'll I'll be honest, this is the whole reason that we do groups at our church. The whole reason we do groups at our church is to introduce you to doing life on life in relationships with other believers, right? Why? Because in most groups, and I'm just telling you, in most groups, there's going to be one of these pouring into you, making a statement, showing you an insight, helping you understand something a little bit more clearly. And believe it or not, your engagement in a group is going to help someone else because you're doing life together. You're learning from one another. And guys, you are in the discipleship process. Because as long as people are pouring into you and you are pouring it out, truth, you are going to experience continual growth and transformation in how you think and in how you act and behave to learn to love and think like Christ, right? This is the purpose of teams at our church. Purpose of teams at our church is not just to get you to do a task, although it's very helpful because we need volunteers to help do tasks. It's to help you engage in relationships so that people can be pouring into you and so that you are engaged in relationships with this church because you have something that you can pour into someone else. And that's why it's so critical for you to, you know, not be here right now, you're, you're online, but eventually we'll be back together. But it's important for you to be here. It's important for you to engage in your group. It's important to be on teams. The relationship aspect of the multi-generational church is the purpose of the discipleship process in our lives to have us all be experiencing transformation. That's the most beautiful thing about the mosaic of the local church. It doesn't have to do with age all the time, but sometimes age is a factor. Older believers should be pouring into younger believers. And those younger believers have something to share with someone else. A core behavior is that we're always pouring out, which means we're always being poured into in our life. Maybe, just maybe, It's something specific. So maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's Sabbath. Maybe it's um, a core discipline. Maybe it's how to live in a marriage submitted to Christ. Like you've always got someone, if you're engaged in relationships with people at the church, you've always got someone who can pour into you if you're willing to receive it. And you always have something to share. I promise you, 
you always have something to share. Let me give you a really quick example, okay, of, of just seeing this work in our church. I, I've been the pastor here. I've been a part of this church for almost 14 years. Um, the pastor here, I think, we talked about the other day, like nine, maybe nine, almost ten. I don't know. I think it's nine. I've uh, been the pastor here, and, you know, in that 10 to 11-year period of time, uh, the Thompson family, uh, Jason and Laura Thompson, uh, we've been a part of life groups with them. We've, we've had friendships with them and their family. They're just a part of our, of our friends that we've done life with for you know, many, 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 many years now. And so there's lots of opportunities as their pastor and as their friend and as part of their life group where I've had the opportunity to pour into their lives. At the same time, Jason and Laura are also raising two children, Colby and Laney. If you don't know that, they're amazing kids. They're also pouring into their lives, raising them, discipling them. That's part of our family ministry, to disciple children. We also have what we, in terms of Kid Street and, and youth, we have people also pouring into their lives. So we have Shin, who on, you know, with the path and everything that he's doing is pouring in right now to Laney and Colby pouring into their life, just another voice, another person to, to encourage them and to challenge them, right, with the truth of the Word of God. Laney serves in Kid Street because we encourage our students to get into these relationships and to serve and pour into others. So Laney serves in classroom and pours out into my Charlie, my young little Charlie, every Sunday. And then Charlie comes home and says, Dad, I can't wait to tell you what I've learned today. And she says, her memory verse, because they're teaching him how to memorize Scripture, and she says, follow, uh, come and follow me, Jesus says. Matthew 4.19. You see how this works? This is how it's supposed to work. Families discipling children, and children discipling other children and pastors and shepherds and, and life group leaders and team leaders pouring into one another and experiencing transformation in the way we think in light of God's truth. It's how it's supposed to work. It's called the discipleship process. We don't overly state that here because we believe it should just be organically the way the church works, the way it's supposed to live itself out. Again, Paul, a lot of this is from Paul just reiterating things to the church. He says, in, in, to the Corinth church, he says, the human body, this is after he's told them, right, to, to imitate him, to follow, follow him as he follows Christ. He says, the human body has many parts, or sorry, many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ, okay? Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Paul's very careful sometimes to, to bring it all back together, even in the relationship part of things. That, hey, guys, we're all different. We all have a different gifts. We all have, we're all a different part of the, the body. That's why the mosaic of the church is so beautiful. But what unites us is the spirit of God. In Ephesians, he says it this way, in Ephesians 4, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. 
because of your love. Remember? Loving like Christ. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You know, Paul talks about the, the discipleship relationship, but he also helps us understand what unites us because he has to remind us sometimes in terms of relationships, because relationships can get messy. He has to remind us even in the church what it is that unites us because it doesn't, the things that you, we use to identify us, it doesn't really mean that much to God, okay? It's, it's while God sees things. So he's reminding them, look, there's Jews and there's Gentiles, so Matt, are you saying that a, a Gentile can, can pour into a Jew? Yeah, that's what Paul's saying. He says there's slaves and free men. So Matt, hold on. Are you saying, are you saying slaves can disciple and pour into free men? Like, really? Okay, maybe we don't get that example. But maybe that's a little too two out there. Let me, let me just rephrase it. So Matt, are you saying that a Republican can disciple a Democrat? Are, are you saying a Democrat can pour into and, and disciple and help a, a Libertarian? you saying that a Charismatic can disciple a, a, a staunch, fundamental Baptist? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Are you saying that someone with the spiritual gift of prophecy can actually disciple and pour into someone with the spiritual gift of mercy? Talk about polar opposites of, 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 of the attributes of those spiritual gifts? Yeah. Just like a Canadian can pastor a whole bunch of Americans. Yeah, it works. It works. A few more Canadians sprinkle in the mix. I see you out there. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you understand that Paul wants to remind us what unites us in the process, in our relationships. We need to be patient with one another and make allowances for each other's faults. We need to be understanding that there's Jews and Gentiles and slaves. There's things that we think define us, but what we think define us is garbage compared to the truth of the Word of God. And the truth of the Word of God is what we use in our relationships as we're united in spirit to share that truth with one another another. That's how it works. But every one of us sits right here. Every one of us sits right here and should reframe how we see our relationships, how we see the local church, how we understand how we grow in our faith by understanding that we need people in our life pouring into us. And we need to be pouring into others the truth, what we're learning, what we're experiencing in the Word of God. I'll end with this quote by Mark Dever. He's another author. He says, the Christian life is a discipled life and a discipling life. That's it. Christian life, right here, contains both relationships. Discipleship is not a program. It's a way of life. 
It's not a limited time thing. It's a lifetime thing. It's not for beginners, but for people of every age and every maturity level. It's not one of the things the church does. It's what the church is in relationships. So today, I'm just challenging you. Make a list. Make a list. Who's been pouring into you? If you are a highly engaged person at our church, I guarantee you there's people in your life that are pouring into you. Who are you pouring into? Again, this this may not be a formal thing. Somebody hasn't come up to you and said, hey, would you disciple me? You haven't gone up to somebody and said, hey, I want to learn from you. No, it's more organic than that. I think people should be intentional. Again, it's intentional engagement to understand what it looks like to grow and what it looks like to continue to pour it out. Because if you are constantly growing, if you are a disciple of Jesus and people are pouring into you and, and you are continuing to learn and experience more and more and more of God's truth, then you will pour it out. And they will pour it out and pass it on to others. So make your list today. Who's pouring into you? And who are you pouring into? And, and here's the challenge. If you can't answer the question, like, like if you can't answer the question, there's chances are you're probably getting poured into and you don't know it. If you're engaged right now, there's an element of this that's being poured into you right now. And you're here. But you're not pouring into anyone. You're not stretching yourself. You're not getting outside your comfort zone. You're not allowing God to take the things that he's given you, the seeds of truth that he's planted in you to grow, to, to, to have fruit in, in, in expressing that to other people's lives. Or you've grown pretty stagnant and your well is getting pretty empty because you don't have anybody pouring into you. You've sort of shut some things off. You've, you've, you've maybe reached a place in your faith that you feel like you already know most of what you need to know. You've probably reached a place in your faith where you're a little bit cynical of, of faith in the church and other people's opinions of what things are. You're no longer united in spirit in relationships with others. I'll challenge you that you need to open yourself up. Let some people begin to pour into you. Ken, we're talking about the truth of the Word of God. Everything in terms of transformation is in light of the truth of the Word of God. I don't care how you manage your budget. I care about how you've surrendered worldly possessions to God and how you've become a steward and how that changes everything in terms of how you see money. I don't care about your, your worldly advice on marriage, you know, that if, if she's happy, then I'm happy. I don't care. I need to know how you've handled Ephesians 3 and, and talked about mutual submission. I need to know how that works for her to submit and for him to lay his life down for her. That's what we need. And I can promise you that there's probably elements of this in your life. You've just never been intentional about framing this up. And if you want to experience transformation, as we've talked about in this series, I'm just telling you, as I pray us out, you need these two relationships in your life. And I'm praying 
that you'll take the steps today to begin to see that happen. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning for every single person that's viewing this now and do this later, that you would be challenging them. And who's pouring into their life and who are they pouring into? And God, the, the, the power of transformation that lies in this process, this, this part of the process of discipleship and in these relationships. God, I really do pray that you just by your spirit would touch every single heart and convict us. Break, our, break us down. Help us see where we've divided. Help us see the things that, that we think matter, that are garbage to you. You don't even care how we think we define who we are and how we do things. That God, it's your truth that matters more. It's your absolute truth that should be guiding our lives. And God, that from there we can begin to really experience something new and breathtaking and, and change, the growing that brings change in our life. It's only by your power, it's only by your spirit that this work happens in us as we receive from others and as we pour out to others the truth of you as well. We're thankful for the examples given to us in scripture and the challenge we've been given today by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.